Thanks for tuning in to Jin and Tantra. In this episode, we continue our discussion on love and relationships, and specifically on Freud and the idea of how we repress our desires. We talk about Christopher Ryan's view on the biological effects of long-term monogamy. We also discuss human beings as electromagnetic beings, approaching cultural taboos, redirecting repression, and Esther Pearl's ideas on dynamism, nourishment, and closeness in relationships. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Gin and Tantra, spirituality with a twist. The podcast that takes Tantrism, Buddhism, Taoism, Sufism, Kabbalism, Shamanism, Chinese medicineism <laughs> and all of the other isms we've been influenced by and blends them into a tall crisp cool cocktail your spirit has been longing for you to get together. now isn't that refreshing I want you to get together Hey, fellow GNTers, those of us who like our spirituality with a twist. Um, we are in the midst of doing this series of episodes on relationships, relationship structures. Uh, it's a thing we've been wanting to do for a long time. Kind of been a little bit of a slow build up to it. Uh, and that it's been something that we've both been giving a lot of thought to. It's been a funny one for me, Daniel, because I've been going through and I've been talking to tons of people about this, which I don't always, I mean, I ask people's opinions about things a lot of times when I'm prepping episodes, but this has been different. <laughs> Well, you know, what they say about, you know what they say about opinions, Eric. Well, I mean, but for this, I think you need to like get a round, a rounded view. Sure. You know, lots of different folks. So I, it's really funny. I've been talking to my 83-year-old mom mm -hmm. <laughs> about these episodes, which has been really fun because my mom's like always had kind of a feisty personality. And uh, she likes to talk about controversial things and things that are challenging. And so we were actually going through like the family history a lot, mm. talking about what the relationships were like, even in our family background, which goes back to some of the things we've been talking about too. The idea that you can trace things back through your family and what people yeah. got to through. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they're very lively conversations. I have a 10 year old son and he sometimes is like in the other room going, what the hell could they be talking about? Because <laughs> it's getting really like, we're going, he only hears one side, but obviously there's two sides of this conversation and it's like, right. it's going with some juice to it. Not in a bad way, but in a good way. And, you know, and she's an 83 year old lady, so it keeps her mind going. You know, so she's always like, you know, uh, happy to have these conversations. I, right. I think it almost takes her back in the time machine, thinking about when she was younger and the kind of questions she was wrestling with. And she said some interesting things. I also talked to, uh, uh, one Ryan Davenport, who's supposed to be, get, be a guest on here at some point soon. He's kind of our consultant anthropologist. And I talked a lot about the anthropology of these things. You so need, I've been having interesting conversations. You need an anthropology consultant. Everyone needs one. Well, I mean, for the shit we talk about, we probably really do need one. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have two. I was, we have Mary Kay. Oh, yeah, Mary Kay, too. Yeah, we have our multiple anthropologists. But I'm just saying, just in life in general, you should have an anthropology consultant at your behest. You have to be completely honest. I think it would be a good job. You know, if that like, you know, if you ever had with Ryan, if you wanted to ever be like, okay, I'm not even going to be your acupuncturist and herbalist, I'll be your anthropology consultant and I'll tell you how your culture is influencing you. But then he'd steal our fucking podcast. He would. Yeah. Don't, don't let so, him listen to this, <clears throat> Eric. So now we got that. We got that. We're trying to get that racket. Yeah. 
but it was kind of interesting because I talked with him a lot about it. He has more sort of crossing the T's and dotting the I's kind of a thing because he has to be anthropologically proper where we can just be more, uh, okay, here's some anthropology and here's our thoughts on it. You know, but he has to be more professional, I guess. Sure, yeah. So whatever. But And so it's been an interesting one talking with different people. I, I really wanted to see what different folks think about this and how this has affected their lives because that's one of the main things about this. I think the reason why this is such an important set of episodes, at least, you know, from my point of view, and I think yours too, was like, there's probably very few things that are going to affect your life as much as like who you form your dominant relationships with. Sure. They're really going to affect you. And I don't know if people think about that, you know, I don't know if they really think about it through that way, but you know, if we're kind of trying to advocate a more conscious, deliberate, thoughtful, challenging way of living, this is like something you have to think about, right? Because sure. your partner's going to affect you a lot. And you're probably going to become more and more like your partner as your life goes along, right? No, my partner becomes like me. <laughs> you're the force that's pulling in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for Mutual sure. gravitational. For better uh, or worse. Thing. For better or worse. <clears throat> I won't comment on that. I'll let that roll. Yeah. That's okay. Sometimes you got to let it roll, you know? Yeah. Um, and you can like have discussions after this thing is aired. <laughs> to see who's influencing who, right? Yeah. That's always the mystery of of like relationship though. Who's affecting who and how, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So we had done a lot of stuff on this and we had really talked a lot about like think repression. Yeah. That was one of our main subject matters. And it was interesting because one of the people I was talking to was really asking about this. You know, you know, what what am I supposed to do? Am I just supposed to repress things psychologically? And I was like, yeah. You know, so a lot of it has to do with like how you deal with repression. Like what do you do with the different feelings? Sure. Which picks us up to where we were in our little outline. I wanted to do this a little bit more because obviously if you look at this in Freud, he's talking a lot about like sexuality. And people can have a lot of sexual feelings for people who are, you know, maybe outside of their monogamous partnership. Yeah. Right. And everyone's got to learn how to deal with that. He's a very Darwinian dude, so he thinks in kind of our Darwinian way, so he's going to emphasize the sexual. But we can also look at the idea that it's very natural for people to have all kinds of feelings for other people that are not just sexual. Sure. And we'll talk about more of this as we go along through these episodes. But I was reminded of, like, I have, we're going to have like people from the Chicago polyamory community on, because I know people from that world. And um, I was having an interesting conversation where like the, the degree of sometimes how people have to repress stuff is interesting because it was this poly couple I know and they had a friend over who wasn't from that world. And um, the woman in the poly couple looked out the window and there was some relatively hot guy doing some construction work in the street <laughs> out the window. And she said, uh, oh, well, look at look at cutie out there doing his work. And, you know, her partner, my the other poly person, one of the other poly people I know, who hopefully will be a guest with us, looked out the window and was just like, oh, yeah, yeah, good looking dude and whatever, you know. And uh, this friend of theirs just went, oh, my God, I can't believe you two can talk that way with one another. If I commented on, even though I found another man who's a stranger, incidentally attractive, it would like blow up into this huge argument, you know. So it's just interesting to see the degree to which people have to like, you know, have to keep those things inside of themselves. It's a very real thing, you know, for a lot of folks have to do that. Just holding stuff inside and holding stuff inside. It's the reality of this, right? 
push it down. <laughs> That's the culture. Push it down. Shove it push inside. It push it down. Way down. <laughs> yeah. Close the box. Cheer or something. Put a weight Lock on top it, of it. Put a chain on it. Drop it in the bottom of the ocean. That's yeah. right. Um, completely titanic it um, so you know but that's how she that's obviously like how people feel that way yeah so so in this repression thing it's going to be kind of a range of things and i just wanted to point it out it can be even small incidental things like that it's not a huge deal obviously right but it is something where you realize people kind of are aware of like okay i really couldn't even talk about that in front of my primary partner or something for freud that sexuality and then as we go along, we're also going to have conversations of what it means when it's like kind of beyond the sexuality part where it's like more deeply emotional and things that we probably would call love, right? Mm -hmm. That people have to repress in some way or another. So that's kind of Freud's take home message on that. Um, on the biology of it, though, you know, it is interesting. And I wanted to share something from like Christopher Ryan, who's the guy who wrote Sex at Dawn and um, Supplies to Death. And he has this little bit of research about it. He's a pretty good source. I didn't totally fact check him on it, but yeah, he's usually pretty good at done the research that he presents. And just as a practical thing, there is a there's a very you know deep thing in this repression thing. And I, I think for two of us medically, I thought it was an interesting one to bring up too, Daniel, which is that there's research on testosterone levels. And they haven't done it in like I guess from the research that was presented, it wasn't in you know female subjects, it was just in male subjects. But there's this kind of showing that testosterone levels for people who are in long-term, you know, monogamous partnerships will just fall and fall. And so they just kind of like sink and sink and sink. And if you take that same person and they get out and they're in a new relationship, well, then those levels just bounce back to where they were. Mm. So it's not even like a biological decline so much as it is just... The system seems to just change when someone's just with the same partner. The testosterone kind of like falls away. And I don't know what that is, again, in female subjects. He doesn't go into that. I suppose you could speculate it's probably something similar happening. Mm. And we'll talk about Esther Perel in a little bit because she has feelings. Um, uh, she's a relationship therapist, pretty famous person. We're going to share a little bit of her stuff later on. But, you know, she talks about specifically from the point of view of, you know, women in long-term relationships and, you know, what do you do about that? Um, how do you keep those relationships dynamic? And, you know, but um, yeah, apparently this is just a biological finding where testosterone just falls. And if someone either, you know, starts having, a, you know, a, you know, an affair, quote unquote, or gets in someone's relationship that way, it'll bounce back up. Or if someone divorces and starts finding new partners, it'll bounce back up again. So it seems to be some kind of biological thing around this, you know, just this relationship structure, which is, you know, I guess what we were trying to talk about, what happens in a relationship structure, and then kind of what do you do about it. And uh, for me, I couldn't help thinking about, like, in Chicago, if you, like, go to check what the score of the White Sox are, or the Bears or something, you listen to, like, sports radio, things that are kind of more focused on a male audience, right, if I'm just in the car or something you get this whole thing about like low T, like everywhere. They're just talking about low T, low T, low T. It's kind of like a little advertising mantra, little centers around Chicago. You have your testosterone low, we'll boost it for you. We'll boost it for you, you know? And talking about all the negative consequences of this, where, I mean, part of it is just seems to be related back, you know, to what Christopher Ryan is sharing to like the impacts of just this kind of 
structure of way of living life. It just has this impact. And so I couldn't help but notice that. And in our world, I couldn't help thinking about like kidney yang, you know, and the Chinese medical idea of uh, kind of the constitutional uh, fire and use the word yang of the body, you know, just being affected by this. Mm. And how many people seem to show declines of kidney yang, which will change if you don't know the Chinese medical part. And obviously we have listeners who don't, it'll change things in like what you call like urology, like how, uh, the kidneys and the bladder start working. You might find, you know, people have to urinate more. They might have to like urinate more at night. Uh, there might be sort of like more um, fluid metabolism issues where people will start putting on kind of water weight, right? So that can be a factor in things like this. And then things having to do with sexuality, like libido that falls and maybe impacts on, you know, even things like erectile dysfunction, things like that, you know, if the testosterone is going to fall, it's going to have an impact. And so I couldn't help thinking about when I heard that from Christopher Ryan, I was like, oh, this is interesting because, you know, from a medical perspective, this is a lot of what's being talked about now in men's health, you know, and I, again, we can speculate on women's health too, but just the sure. idea of like erectile dysfunction, low T, these are like constant things that are just being presented to male I'm audiences. wondering though, if like there is all, we, we, you know, it's hard to sort of pull this apart you know, I know we're just, you're making a correlation. You're not necessarily saying causation, but it, well, he's, it's he's definitely saying that there's a causation involved. Well, but then I could mm -hmm. argue that like the in, inherently in a long-term relationship is increased responsibility. You know, uh -huh. you have bills with the person, you may have some rent or some mortgage or something like that that's associated with somebody, which means that you're inherently having some job that you have to return to on a regular basis. So it's routinization over a long period of time and to the you know one of the core i guess tenets of the show is to try to get people to do things that they have passion doing in their life and the repetitive nature of, of existence is such that like passion is sort of drummed out over a longer period of time yeah. just a little bit chipped away over and over and over again and something new like being in a new relationship, having a new thing. I mean, that's the whole point. There's a way in which this declines, you know, just in the absence of something new. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it just tied into routinization. I agree with you. Yeah. And I don't think like, you know, obviously for the way we're talking about this, you know, it wouldn't be like, uh, you know, uh, find a lady across the street and start like uh, hooking up with her or, you know, divorce your divorce and leave your family. No, that's not what we're talking about. It's more like, okay, this is a part of the reality of what right. happens. Right. Right. And you have to try to figure out, okay, what do I do about this? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So not to be, I mean, it's, you know, part of what we're trying to do is we're trying to be honest, right? Sure. Yeah. 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 Thing in an honest way. Yeah. So it is a routinization thing. I think Esther Perel that we'll get to, she really talks a lot about what you're talking about. That ends up being routinized. And maybe one of the ways you could see that this could get better is to unroutinize things. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 But it is like a problem. I think in the Christopher Ryan's, like now this is the speculative part for sure, is something like when you have two people, he goes back to kind of like biological roots or something with the idea that when you have two people together for a long period of time like that, the body starts kind of thinking about that person more like a sibling or something. Like it stops thinking about them as a reproductive partner and starts like transitioning. And there's some speculation in the book like, that's what stops people from, you know, like incest and things, you know, the, the, mm. the, the desire for that person isn't there, you know, in the yeah. way it would be in a non-familial relative or something. Yeah. Some so of kind of like it starts a transition. 
to the fact it starts to create feelings that are much more like sibling like or something like that some of these newer teachers on um masculinity talk about this one guy that i've only listened to a little bit by him his name is david data i think he wrote oh yeah i think i've heard of him yeah mm-hmm. yeah and so one of the things he talks about is polarity you know the importance in maintaining polarity between masculine and f- males and females or people in a partnership we'll just call it that you know regardless yeah Esther has a feeling about that too but yeah go ahead yeah yeah and so i i definitely understand that and then if i'm thinking about it even more from like a yogic perspective um if if people are you know because like traditionally we were, we were before we started recording we were talking about kama sutra and in the practice of kama sutra or sexual tantra if we will you know the people sleep in separate rooms actually and then they come together usually around the full moon or the new moon and they totally are engaged in like you know sex sexathon for those few days and then go back to their respective things and one of the things at least you know my teacher andre mentioned to us he's like sleeping together is a prolongation of sex it's an intermingling of your auras and so that you're having this kind of like togetherness even if you're not quote unquote together like you know, we have our auras that are around our body, sort of electromagnetic field for those who don't believe in a quote unquote aura, right? But that when that is not reestablished, the magnetism, because we are electromagnetic beings, the, the magnetism between you and the other being never really gets recharged. It's always sort of there, you know, like it's always sort of intertwined constantly. And then when you intertwine, intertwine your lives and you bring in routinization and then traffic and all the other stuff, it's totally logical, at least in my mind, that the lack of polarity, the lack of magnetization would be, you know, I guess an uh, um, an answer to all of these. It's kind of like you get like a constant kind of low grade charge, but you don't get the surges of charge that yes. you get, you know, when you experience the person anew or something like yes. that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I met uh, uh, this lady within this poly world. We become friends, you know been out to dinner or something, you know, and uh, she doesn't live with her partner. They never have. They live in the same neighborhood. And she was sort of talking about that idea. You know, she has, and I don't know if she's really even poly or not. I don't know. So I don't know. However, she identifies for herself. I don't know. But whatever. So she lives kind of in this separate place. She lives in kind of like a communal living thing in Chicago, which is kind of interesting. She's kind of an outside the box person. I always like people who are a little bit different. So she sort of lives in this kind of like urban commune setting where she has one space and they sort of share other spaces together. And I thought that's interesting, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and she's done some other interesting things with her life, you know, like uh, backpacking around the world and stuff. I like people who do interesting things anyway. So we were talking about this whole thing and she was just saying, yeah, we don't live together. And I think a little bit is is that, you know, and then she was talking about, you know, the excitement of seeing, you know, her partner. You know, because they're not around each other all the time. Yeah. So there is an excitement. And she was kind of describing it to me. There's a buildup with that. And they, yeah. in that sense, they kind of solved it in a very, like, bigger way, even, of just, like, even living separate, which, you know, most people aren't going to do that. But no, it does have that thing to it. You know, you kind of change the routinization and you change that kind of, like, the energetic dynamics and, like, the chi sense, the prana sense you yeah. know, between yeah. the two people. You know, so that's something worthwhile thinking about. Esperal talks about this kind of stuff too. But to me, I think it was just important to say, like, yeah, there's a there's a biological reality to this too. That's I agree. you know, and really what you're talking about is losing like potentially young. Yeah. And when you look at like all the issues that you hear around like men's health now are all around these issues of like 
low testosterone and sexuality problems, right? That could yeah. be related back to these fallings of these testosterone levels. And it's kind of framed as if it's just like a biological thing, but you know, in a way, an, an inevitability of biology or something, right? Yeah. yeah. Offer yeah. a medical solution. But this is much more like, I, you know, I go back from a psych background, this is behaviorism. This is how, you know, like psychologically, psych psychology behaviorism, how behavior affects the biology of the body, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, you put people in certain situations and the internal biology within that person will change. Mm. So it's just something to be aware of, you know? And, you know, if we go to our Chinese medical part, it might be just like, okay, let's give you, there's a Chinese herb called horny, horny goat weed. That's right. <laughs> it's trying to just boost up the yang of the body, which is probably going to be boosting the testosterone. You know, you give Chinese herbs and these hormonal levels change. And so it's just the awareness of those kinds of things that you might actually have to do this because as a consequence of this particular behavior or pattern, this is just one of the things that tends to happen. But it's going to have an impact on your whole body, not just, you know, how you're going to feel in your libido or something. It's going to affect your weight. It's going to affect, you know, urology and it's going to affect all kinds of stuff in the body because it's just you know it has a bigger impact beyond just the sexuality part of it right right so i think that from a medical point of view when i heard that i was like ooh, that's interesting you know like how many people do you think you diagnose daniel in your thing where you're going well people are putting on weight and it's not just the digestive system working it's this underlying yang of the body is declining right and people are putting on water weight that's the way i felt about weight gain did you feel the same way about this lots of times yeah and people will you it's know like they'll, talk, they'll, they'll talk weight. about it from like um being inundated with stress right and so they'll talk about it from a western perspective generally like an increase in cortisol right and so this stress hormone then causes the body to kind of slow down its fluid metabolism its caloric metabolism and in this way i think even though cortisol is like a we call it like a young hormone meaning it helps to wake you up in the morning it does its thing eventually like it becomes detrimental to the system and so mm -hmm. it has these sort of negative effects on the body that look like a deficiency of one's fire a deficiency of yang and if you're trying to cook a over, over time it almost makes more yin that's the weird part about right it, right right that's what i was going to say over time if you're trying to cook more yin yeah. If you're trying to cook a pot of stew and you don't have enough fire, it just ends up being cold and sitting there. And in yeah. our bodies being cold and sitting there, it looks like we just grow uh, horizontally. You know? <laughs> yeah, We're not yeah. definitely not growing vertically anymore, you know? Yeah, we hit, we hit our vertical max mostly and it's there's only one place to go. Only one place to go, out. Yeah. So anyways, for me, I just, I wanted to share it because it's like a very, it's a very biological reality thing here, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're thinking about this, in your own life, you know, you start thinking, okay, well, it's partially my psychology and it's partially, you know, how I'm going to handle my emotions and how I'm going to handle yeah. my sexuality and what I want to do to make my partnership work. And then it's also this thing of like, it's having a biological impact too, that I think you just have to be aware of. Well, right? but the word, the word that you said that's important is that how am I going to make my partnership work? And yeah. that word should probably be underlined because it's work actually. And I think that's part of the issue is that like people don't actually work. They don't often work on themselves, but then even in, in the case of not working on yourselves, they don't work on the relationship. You know, it's just sort of like, well, we fell in love and now we're in this thing and here we go. Like that's the, you know, and only you, you, from my experience, and I could be totally wrong. People usually only find times to work on things is when they're bad, which is like the worst time to work on shit because you don't have the actual skills to do it because you haven't been working on it when they were good. Well, it's kind of like you already wait for this, the structure to be collapsing and then you start doing something about it, right? Right, right. Yeah, it's like trying, 
you could have just driven some nails in and done some stuff earlier, but now the whole side of the house is falling that's out. Right. That's how right. are you going to do? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You don't yeah. know how to hang drywall and that's what you need to do right now. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise that wall, that whole wall is coming down. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Um, but anyways, I, I mean, I don't want to like, uh, you know, again, I'm coming to this with a realistic attitude and like part yeah. of it's clinical, you know, and I don't want to like softball the implications of this. It's not a, it's not a, it's a, it's a real thing with real impacts. So something that we should be aware of. Right. Um, the only thing I had like in this little section for me was, you know, about the emotional aspect of this then. Right. So if Freud is talking about sexuality a lot, but there's a lot of like sort of emotional repression and people looking out to get kind of emotional contact for people too. So there's an emotional longing aspect of this. Mm. And, uh, you know, these things are really taboo culture wise. And it's like, I did talk about this with our resident anthropologist. (laughs) Our our, our anthropologist on retainer. Yes. (laughs) Very cheap retainer. Uh, (laughs) Um, just the whole idea of like, you know, I'd like to have him on just talk about what, why are things taboo? But obviously there's, you know, taboo about the sexuality aspect because it's a mononormative culture. Right. But, you know, even the emotional part is very difficult and there's probably emotional needs that people are going to have to be a lot of times repressing too. And when you talk with people honestly about it, obviously that's happening. So, um, we're going to advocate to the idea that you have to go back with a, ref- like a, I guess, a refreshed attitude of like engagement, right? But it's not like this isn't a thing. And I think even in the culture, I, I, I don't know how this is for our international listen- listenership, but in America, they have the concept of emotional infidelity too, where yes. people can be emotionally unfaithful by the idea that they have too much of an emotional connection with someone that's threatening to their partner or something like that. Yeah, that's because uh, uh, this culture was founded by puritanicals, and uh, anything against the way is naughty and yeah. has to be flogged. <laughs> you know? It's interesting, like talking with Ryan about because he went to the same place. Well, he thought for a second he was like, "Well, it's a it's a puritanical culture," <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. And so I don't know. Maybe we'll get some email from someone who listens to this thing from uh, Copenhagen or something, and they'll say something different. I don't know. Yes, if you're America. from Copenhagen. I think we have a good listenership in Germany. So, but wherever, anywhere, it doesn't matter. You can email us at gin and tantra at gmail.com or leave a comment in a YouTube video, whatever. Mm-hmm. We want to know. I'm actually legit curious to see. But American culture, this is like potentially a really serious taboo. And that led to a conversation with Ryan about like taboo a little bit, which I'd like to do with him coming on. We talked for a long time about it. And he was like, well, you know, when you have a taboo, it implies something dangerous. You know, like the culture doesn't like it because it's threatening. Mm. So when you actually have, because you know, I put already put the word of taboo in the notes, and then he and I were talking, and we started talking about taboo, and it was like, oh yeah, yeah, for some reason this is really threatening, and it's threatening usually beyond like the individual level. It's threatening on some level that's more yeah. transcendent. It's culturally threatening for some reason. Like it's really important for some reason culturally that you know things be a certain way. We're talking about relationships. It could be other things too, yeah. whatever it is. Culture has an idea of how things are supposed to be. And when things are threatening and taboo, there's something that's being challenged, you know? So I guess we'll speculate more on this on the, as these relationships go forward. But I thought, you know, that's an interesting kind of a point. And I did ask him, you know, well, what do you think about this idea? Like things in a culture are connected. You know, the way the relationships are are tied into the way the work world goes, which right. ties into the, way the economic world goes, which probably ties into the way the political world goes. It's not like these things are isolated or something. 
And he said a really interesting thing. He said, you know, when you're going from the anthropological perspective, you kind of go in with the attitude that no matter what part you look at a culture, it's holographic. You're kind of seeing the yeah. whole thing, you know? So no matter what part you're targeting, you're probably getting some information about everything by looking right. at that one part. So anyways, so for some reason, these things are taboo. So I don't know. What do you think about the emotional infidelity whole concept? Um, emotional infidelity. You know, listen, I think it would be naive to think that people don't have desires outside of their primary relationship partnership, right? And that, that doesn't matter what that looks like, you know? I'm assuming it's with the human. If you're in love with a teddy bear, like whatever, you know, or your car, that's different. But let's just say it's with the human for argument. Material, materialistic culture. You're in love with your car. You're in love with your right. Your uh, big screen TV or something. Sure, yeah. So let's talk about human relationships. Like interesting because you bring it up, but like, how many dudes do you know who are like going to buy a car because they want to buy some fucking fancy ass car? And yeah. Supplementing something, they want this fancy ass car, right? It's, I mean, that's it's real. I mean, and it just, is. It just is a throwaway line that's still real. <laughs> it's very real. And so, like, it's very real. We had this. I had a conversation with somebody, um, and their spouse ended up um, being unfaithful, and had this relationship. And um, long story short, like he was hoping that the other person who the spouse had the relationship with would eventually apologize to him for sort of breaking his family apart. And mm -hmm. while on one hand, I could totally understand that, that you want, you know, and the person fortunately or unfortunately is still in the life of the, of this former spouse and of the child. So, mm, you know, it is what it is, right? The person just kind of like uh, Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie left. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Jennifer exactly. Aniston, is that her name? There you, you know, go. There you go. And so we were kind of like, and, 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 you know, he has definitely some feelings around it, which he's certainly entitled to his feelings of wanting some retribution, justice, whatever. Okay, fine. Well, he was sharing this, you know, in a group with a group of us and everybody's response was, why? Mm -hmm. Well, who, who owes, who owes you anything? And, and my point was that I said, you don't know what your former partner was sharing with him the story that she was telling him. And because of that, you don't know what he, his perception of your situation was. And there was a guy there who was um, a smart guy, a psychiatrist said she would have replaced that with another person, with alcohol, with pharmaceuticals or with work or with things, but something would have filled that gap. And so when we're talking about these things, I think all of those things are absolutely part of the society and part in parcel why commercialization um, and wholesale in general of everything is so popular because it is filling the void of all the things that we are unwilling to look at. And therefore we take our attention outwards and fill it with stuff that we could purchase because it's a hell of a lot easier and certainly a lot more rewarding to buy something that's not going to talk back to you. You know, so I think going back to your question about emo, you're muted though, Eric. Ah, it's also culturally approved. And culturally approved. It's a culturally approved way of filling in gaps. It's essentially a culture. If you get to like the like the the gist of what Freud is trying to say, which was the start of the conversation, is this is a this is a culturally okay way of sublimating. Correct. 
and you to can sublimate to... into material objects. Yes. Right. And the culture is probably designed to have you do that. Yeah. On some level, right? That's the structure of the culture. And to so... take your un your unrealized or unfulfilled aspects of who you are and sublimate them out into material objects. And so mm -hmm. then to your question about the emotional infidelity, I mean, what, how, what, where is the line? Is the line regular texting? Is the line sharing your life? Is the line sharing difficulties? Is the line sharing positives? Is the line sharing work? Is the line sharing poetry? I mean, where, where is the line? Right. Well, I should straight up for myself. Like, We'll talk about our own attitudes towards these things in a separate episode. We weren't going to do it here. We just wanted to talk about stuff. But I don't believe in this thing. Yeah, no. I, I'm, there's a thing called emotional infidelity, but the culture believes in it for sure. The culture believes in it for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and I don't... Why do you think that is, though? Why is that... Like, what's the taboo there? Because at some point, people believe that it's going to lead to... lead to something to, physical or something, and the physical is a taboo. It's which a gateway is, drug or something. That's the reason right, why it's which like, oh God, oh God, no, no, you can't, you know, like it's, it's, you know, and look on, on some level, if you're, you know, if you, the, based on your level of responsibility and the commitments that you've made to people, yeah, you're, you're, you're breaking that commitment for, so for sure. And that if it's not consciously accepted by both parties, then it's unfair. We're playing two different games now and we cannot play two different games because that's not what we signed up for. If you signed up for that, then by all means, do your thing. And so I think this idea of- we'll get, to, we'll get to our feelings about this later yeah. on, but like most people don't know what the fuck they're signing up for at all. No, together. no. So I will continue on in the episodes. I, I promised myself that I'm going to save <laughs> my personal impressions for later on at the sure. road. But I have to say honest about this. I don't think people go into these things with any sense of what the fuck they're doing at all. No. To be honest, you know, for no. the most part. I mean, it, I have, I'm fortunate to have a lot of very close friends and- what you know what's the difference what's emotional intimacy with my male friend versus emotional intimacy with my female friend i mean what what is the, what does that even look like you know so like you can have a friend who's a dude and, and he could tell you about his tough days and his you know hard times with his wife and cry on your shoulder but if a woman was to do that well someone would say oh eric how dare you does your wife approve of this thing well why is it a, why is it bad when it's a woman but acceptable when it's a man yeah 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 well, you're right, because there's a thread of some other level of, like, tabooness. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so, well, yeah, obviously, and it's funny, because Freud wrote books where he just had, like, taboo in the title of the book, you know? That's taboo. Yeah, taboo. <laughs> it's taboo to have the title in the book. <laughs> it's double taboo. Not only are you, like, now you're even throwing it in our face, Freud. Yeah, leave, it, leave us alone. Yeah, come on, like, you know, be a little bit more psychologically crafty. So, all right, so anyways, that's just some of the stuff that we wanted to do there, just yeah. with the idea there's going to have to be a certain amount of repression that's going to have a certain amount of consequence. A lot of Americans are really lonely. So, you know, there's a lot of loneliness and people probably not only repressing sexual needs and romantic needs, but just emotional needs just in general. It's, yeah, it's the... And the then that leads of, to somatization and damage to the body and kind of damage to the spirit. It's right? a lack of connection. You know, yeah. it's a lack of connection to love. It's a lack of connection to source it's a lack of connection to healing because if you know love heals everything and you don't have it then you're going to be in a place of needing it all the time and those wounds are going to fester without a doubt that's the whole like it's the whole repression problem it doesn't go away no right so so what's the conclusion as we kind of wrap it in you know to yeah. like okay so 
if we accept the idea that there's going to be a certain amount of repression, and I talk to different people about this, and they're like, yeah, okay, you know, if you, that's okay, right? If you value the relationship and you value the person, uh, and I definitely talk to people, you know, as I was doing my little, my little homework on this, my little sort of individual clinical research project on it, you talk with people like, yeah, well, you know, you can get honest answers from people. They're like, yeah, okay, I know I have feelings for other people. Probably I have feelings for other, you know, uh, uh, you know, there's difficulties in this, but you know, I value this relationship. I value this person. This is what this person needs. Yeah. You are. And so totally respect that, right? You know, that's the decision that you make. So the only thing I guess for our thing would be to be aware of this, mm -hmm. right? You have to be aware that this is a thing. And there's probably like part of what Freud is saying is you're going to have to be like kind of a sublimation aspect. Yeah. Right? Where you have to take some of this energy, recognize in yourself, don't just repress it, repress it, repress it. That's kind of the whole, the things that are unconscious will come back to bite you. You don't want that, right? You don't want the unconscious things stewing because they don't go away from what you were saying, Daniel. They just stew and stew and stew, right? And they probably get bigger and bigger as they stew. So you have to come up with some kind of outlet for this. And in general, it's kind of like the idea is in this psychological framework, this way of understanding things, sublimation that you go through and you direct these energies someplace else. So you come up with you know, other emotional outlets. You come up with other ways of directing your you know, maybe aspects of your sexual feelings someplace else or something. You just figure out how to do that so it doesn't kind of like stew inside of you. And I think a lot of this in in this part of the world, and we're going to do something where we talk about Carl Jung, and he's probably even stronger on this. But I think the idea is still there that some of this might be in things that are creativity. Some of this might be things that you put into your spiritual and meditative life. Some of this might be things that you put in other places. You don't let the energy just stew inside of you. You recognize it for what it is, and you come up with other ways of directing it in ways that are positive. And probably a lot of that has to do with creativity. So, you know, keep a journal and write would be like Carl Jung's advice or, you know, throw it into some art and, you know, paint some pictures. Even if you're not a painter, fuck it, paint some pictures, you know, or even if you're not a writer, write some shit down. Or even if you're not thinking of yourself in that way, come up with outlets for these things. Mm -hmm. It'll help you take of these emotions and direct them into more healthy ways. It's funny, I have like a kind of a personal anecdote with this with my dad. I don't know everything that was going on in my dad when I was a teenager. There was a lot, you know, obviously he had kind of a troubled background, tales for another time. And um, uh, and he had a difficult relationship with my mom. <laughs> so, okay. Um, but I saw that he was like having all of this, from my, even my teenage eyes, I could see, okay, this dude has issues. He needs some outlet. I just remember thinking he needs an outlet. And I can remember, I, I remember there were old black and white pictures of him, even from back when he was in the army back in the day, you know, he was like down at Fort Bragg or something like that, you know, part of like the reserves or whatever. He went off to do his training as all the fellows were doing within his age range or something. And uh, yeah, Daniel's doing the march, right? <laughs> so there were pictures of him down there and, uh, but there were things where he was like, he was holding his thumb out with a paintbrush and stuff. Like you could tell he was painting. And there were these old photos. And he looked really happy in the photos. You know, it was him with a paintbrush and a canvas, you know, and a palette. And, you know, he just looked happy in a way where I was like, I don't, I, I don't think I've seen my dad. <laughs> Maybe he's happy like that now. I don't ever see it. <laughs> 
So I was like, I went out and I had uh, one of my best friends was really a good artist. You know, we were teenagers, but he was good, you know, and I thought, okay, he'll be my advice person on this. And I went out for Christmas and I didn't have, you know, you're a, you're a teenage kid. You don't have that much money, but I actually dropped a decent sum of money on this. I went out and I bought him, uh, you know, like uh, canvases. I bought him paints. I bought him a palette. I bought him, you know, uh, you know, the kind of things that hold the canvases. I'm even forgetting the name for those things. But anyways, we bought easels. <laughs> I bought him all of this stuff. And he opened it up on Christmas. And he, you know, my dad being my dad, he looked at him and was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> what am I supposed to do with this shit? He had no interest. But as time went on, he just started to do it. And um, and he, he'd come back on the weekend, he'd be there and he'd have these canvases up. And if they were pretty rough at first, you know, I remember when he first started doing stuff that looked halfway decent, he was like, oh, this actually looks like something. He hung it on the wall. (laughs) (laughs) It was like, he liked to paint things from nature. Well, inner Taoist in him. So he was painting the water, hitting the rocks, or he'd love, he'd love trees. He'd be painting the trees out in in the fields and stuff. He started going out, like taking pictures of trees that he loved, you know, and it became like a big thing in his life. And it went on for like years and years, like for the rest of his life, he just painted away. And it was his outlet for his emotions, whatever those combinations were, whatever that was inside, which I don't even know if I fully saw the full extent of what it was. I'm sure some of it had to do with my mom. Some of it had to do with things at work, whatever it was in him, you know, that was all of this, no other emotional outlet for him. He just did this thing. And the next thing you know, he was doing uh, art shows. He was selling his paintings as he got better and better. He mm. got into a community of artists and he had people to talk about his painting with. And so his sense of community expanded. Mm. And um, so anyways, it was a bizarre kind of inspiration for me. I was like maybe 16 years old or something. I was like, this dude needs an outlet. You know, he just needs an outlet. And it's funny because later on when I read Carl Jung, Carl Jung was like, yeah, people need outlets. They need ways of doing this. Mm. And um, my dad passed away in 2007. And we had, you know, some kind of, you had those close conversations, you know, when someone's facing their own mortality. And uh and he did bring this up again. And he said, you know, there were times where he said, you know, for me as his son, I saw things that were true about him or things that he needed that other people didn't see. And he said he was very thankful about that. And he was really talking about probably this part of his life that I recognized like, okay, this guy's all torn up inside in his own emotions, right? And his own repressions, he needs some outlet for this. And I just saw that, you know? Yeah. Hmm. And it was interesting then, because I talked to my mom about not exactly just about this, though we do talk about this part of his life. And we, she, she and I have talked about even him finding this artistic part of himself. And this was like the most corporate fucking dude in the world. That's the reason I mean, it's been good to share the story. It's hard to have someone more corporate than my dad. <laughs> but that was in the midst of like the most corporate part of America. And he wasn't thinking of himself as an artist. No. You know, whatever that part of his personality was, that was something that he left far behind. But then he rediscovered. So, you know, it, it doesn't have to be something that you even think you might not even know you have that part of you, or you might not even know you still have that part of you if it's something from your past. But as I was talking with my mom, she said this really interesting thing. She said, you know, you need to be able to find these parts of yourself inside because you need to be able to cope with your life. And she said something like that. And I thought, that's very astute, mommy, 83-year-old mommy coming through. Mommy. She came through with it. And I was like, yeah, there's right about that. And she used the word cope. And I was like, yeah, that's sublimation. Yeah, that's how you learn how to cope with these parts of the reality of life, right? You know? So anyways, it's a tale I wanted to share about sublimation. 
Hmm. I think in a deep way, I don't know how you feel about this with patients and things, but you know, people don't always know they have these parts of themselves. No. My dad totally didn't know it. Again, his immediate reaction was, what the, what the hell is this? <laughs> Why are you giving me this? And I dropped a lot of money on it. And his, uh, his response was less than enthusiastic. <laughs> but in the end, a huge part of his life. And yeah, we have like, he painted like hundreds and hundreds of canvases. It was just became like a thing where he would just be there just like painting away. Put the easel up on the weekend. It might spend a whole Saturday just churning out canvases. And it was I his see. way of, you know, sublimating, essentially. So anyways, you got something more about sublim sublimation? I wanted to share that story. No, I wasn't. I'm inspired, though. Um, my brother, who never listens to this, so I could say it because I know he's not going to hear it. Much sounds like sounds like your dad in a certain way, you know, like uh, very corporate, very kind of just family focused, but got stuff inside, you know, yeah, yeah. for sure. And when we were younger, he never had any training, but he was a very good artist. Like he'd sketch people's faces, just, mm -hmm. no training. He could just do it, you know, ah. and I'm his birthday is coming up and I am uh, looking right now. I'm going to buy him a uh, sketch, you know, cool. kit, you know, that's so. good. Yeah, it's good. Maybe that'll help him, and then uh, I won't have to ram his head in the in the ground trying to open his mind up a little bit. <laughs> oh, <laughs> tough love or artistic love? Let's you choose. <laughs> you yeah. choose. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, so I think it's like a funny thing. I think again, we'll do stuff on Jung because we're going to talk about Jung's attitude towards relationships too. Yeah, but. Um, you know, basically, you know, he did say like, you have to, people have to find these creative parts of themselves so they know how to sublimate so they can deal yeah. with their emotions. Yeah. It helps you cope with your life. Okay. The other part was the part that I think you just brought up, Daniel, just in your spontaneous way of like, I, I put it as optimization. You know, what do you do to optimize things? There are certain challenges and no matter, we're going to talk about different ways of like relationship structures, no matter what, there's going to be challenges. Right. There's going to be challenges in life, no matter For what. For sure. Yeah. Um, so the person I wanted to reference here was like Esther Perel, who's a real famous kind of relationship psychologist and, um, probably known to some of the audience, maybe, I don't know, have you familiar with her at all, Daniel? No. Esther Perel. Okay. She's like a pretty well-known person and she has this book called Mating in Captivity. Mm, and Erotic Intelligence. By the way. <laughs> so repressed. Well, that's another way to express yourself, right? Uh-huh get a little adventurous mm -hmm. <laughs> but she probably she would say she'd probably agree with you right uh so but she basically talks about the idea of like what are the challenges of being in long-term relationships like this mm. you know and how do you keep how do you keep the things kind of vibrant and alive and she says yeah you're gonna have to put in creative work in that way so no matter what you have to show some creativity mm -hmm. whether it's your whether it's in your partner or with yourself or maybe both right but she raises a lot of the same points, I think, that we were kind of hitting on earlier in this book. So if this is a, something that you're curious about, you know, we're talking about the subject matter, you want to read something a little bit more, Bidding Captivity. And I guess I, you know, I had, I had, I listened to books more than I have time to read them. I did listen sure. to the whole thing from like a clinical point of view, because I'm interested in clinical stuff or clinicians. Um, but I, you know, I did, I was going to listen to a part of it again, and I just didn't have the time to do it, but I can kind of summarize some of the major points with this, where she was just saying that the structure itself is very static. 
right? And so if you look at it in terms of like Chinese thought, Taoist thought, it's very yin, it's very static, and it gets very yin in its stability and what you were using like routinization or something, Daniel, right? Become like a very static thing. So you need to come up with ways to add more yang and more dynamism. Yeah. It's interesting problem of life because people need stability they need nourishment they need the qualities that are yin sure right like you need those things it's not like those things don't have value they do but on the other hand you know things can get very very yin they can be very very static talking with our resident anthropologist mm. Ryan Davenport, mm. he was talking about this aspect too you know that there's like a kind of a a, a, a static problem there's a lack of dynamism problem, however you want to phrase it exactly. Sure. So he was just talking about, I think, just looking at just, okay, so what, is, what does this mean culturally? Like, what are the ups and downs of this cultural framework? And it's very yin, it's very static, and it's static over time, you know? And, uh, but that can be too much of a thing that's necessary. You need nourishment, you need stability, but it can be too much of that. Mm. And it was kind of interesting because it led to this kind of thing where he was talking about staticness and it led to kind of a conversation about needs when you have a partner and they're addressing your needs you don't always want them to change sure because if they change they might not meet your needs in the same way and that was an interesting twist in the conversation i wasn't expecting to get to Mm. but as he and i were talking i went you know that is an interesting question because there is a needs thing Mm mm-hmm and then there's almost a, maybe a bit of a pressure to keep the same version of that person, right? Because that's the person that meets their partner's needs, you know? So I, was like, like, I wasn't expecting to go to that place, but I thought that was pretty interesting, you know? It sounds like a, a, a kind of a negative form of unconscious attachment, you know, in a way of keeping somebody in the same place so that they can serve you. You know, and maybe again, it's not conscious, but I don't even know if it's necessarily like, I don't even know if it's necessarily meant to be a dark thing. I think it's just more like people have needs and they get these relationships based on when the needs are met, right? Mm. And there's a fear if that person changes, then they won't meet the needs in the same way. But you obviously are putting out the dark side of it, right? Mm-hmm. If it's really dark, then you're trying to stifle the other person potentially, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it might not even be conscious though. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. Mm-hmm. You know, as I'm saying, like it might not be coming from a place of, oh, I'm going to put my thumb on this person. You know? Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. But like, then that's why people are resistant to to change because it might not be what they had anticipated or what they expected. Well, we were talking about like, in a way, I think, so I think he was saying it from the point of view of like, everything has to change and grow and develop. Think, of things course. can't stay the same. So the expectation that this person's going to stay the same person isn't very realistic. No. You know? And I was like, okay, that's realistic, What what he was saying. Um, and then I also was thinking, well, you know, there's also that needs problem, you know, part of what brings people together is, and makes them commit in these long-term ways. is they think, well, this person's going to be a person who's going to meet these needs in me, mm. but that my person might change. Those needs might not be met anymore. And that's probably scary and intimidating for people, whether that's conscious or unconscious. Do you agree with that? What I'm saying there, Daniel? Yeah. I hadn't thought about it that way, but I thought, well, that's an interesting, like it kind of grew naturally out of the conversation. And I was like, okay, that's an interesting point. You know, I wasn't thinking about it exactly in those words. It's kind of something you know, but I had never said it out loud exactly sure. in that way. Sure. And, you know, you and I have had conversations about 
um, you know, even what it's like to go through like psychospiritual changes. And that's right. challenging for partners sometimes, you know? Yes. But they're like, hmm, well, this person's changing. You know, that's a little scary, right? It is because you develop a, you know, a vibe together. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the other person can be fearful that 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 change might not just meet their needs, but then they might they might not meet your needs. You know, the yeah, other yeah, yeah. way around, you know what I'm saying? And that, yeah. could lead, that could lead to the dissolution of the partnership. If you look at it one way or, you know, if you look at it in a different way, you, you know, it's like, well, it's time to level up. You know yeah, I mean? yeah, it's a point where like both people have to like grow and, and change in order to be able to be supportive of one another going forward. It takes dynamism yeah. from both sides. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a kind of funny thing. Like we, you know, like the first time I did one of my longer Zen retreats, and we probably talked about this before on the podcast. I can't remember. Probably was a long time ago, but uh, they had warned me, you're going to see people in your life and you're going to freak their shit out. And I didn't take it too seriously. <laughs> I was just kind of like, okay, I mean, you're telling me this, that seems like an exaggeration, but they were like, no, it's really going to be a thing. You have to be really aware of this. Mm. So they were kind of like putting a lot of emphasis on that idea. Like the minute you leave this retreat and you see someone, you know, especially if it's a significant other, something important in your life, just realize that you're going to be different to them and it's going to be scary to them. Mm. And to be honest, I didn't fully believe it, but I, I held it in my mind. I thought, okay, they're, my, okay, they're telling me this, they're more experienced than me, but did I really believe it? No. Not really, not ex not really inside of me. And then I went out and I was being met by, you know, my partner of the time. She was there in the car waiting for me as I was leaving the retreat. Supportive person, um, you know, uh, but I got in the car, opened the door and I was remembering what they were saying. So I think I just said something like, hi, baby. And I just, you know, like said something. I thought I was being really nice. <laughs> at least that was my conscious intention and she like almost developed whiplash like whipping her head back and she kind of like almost hit her head on the the car door on the driver's side she's just like you know like ricocheted back like who the fuck is this guy and i was like oh my god this is real what they're saying like just me getting in the car i look different to them you know and uh you know it's it's a strong thing so you know like people can adjust but it's probably more shocking than what you realize when you change. Sure. I saw like old childhood friends too, after all of my kind of, I did Zen really seriously for a number of years, like three years, you know, very serious. That was like the main focus of my life. And uh, I saw people that I hadn't, like childhood friends and they were like, well, you're just not the same person anymore. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, it's just different. So th there, it does it does create that weird psycho-spiritual problem too. People have to learn how to grow with each other somehow, you know? All right. So that was part of the Ryan conversation. You got anything more on that one or no? You know, um, I, I, I did, I was meditating before I came on the, before we started recording, which I didn't mention earlier, but mm. um, I, and I try not to hold on to things that, why that, that occur while I'm in there, you know, despite Robert Thurman's contradicting advice, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes he's like, hold on to those epiphanies, let him go. You know, no one is like, you know, it's yeah. always consistent. Uh -huh. And and what came to me was, um, I don't know if I could word it right, because it's sort of like loosely in my memory, but something along the lines of like, uh, you will not be the same person when you reach the mountaintop or the person that you think you are now will not be the same person when you reach the top. I mean, it sort of has to be true, right? Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise you'd already be there. Then you're not. You're going to change some something else, you know. Mm -hmm. Some core is going to be who you are, but you're not going to be that same person. It's going to have to change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
in this case, I think it's going to change anyways. We're all going to change. Yeah. Inevitably. But I think in this case, you're trying to change in some ways that you think is very uh, good. You know, it means you're not going to be the same dude you were before, the same lady you were before. You're going to change, right? Yeah. Same person you were before. Mm -hmm. No matter who you are. Okay. So there was this whole question also in Esther Perel of like what you were bringing up, Daniel, the counterproductive closeness. No, she has that same recognition that you're talking about from your uh, uh, contract Buddhist teacher, Andre, too, that there's a need for space. Mm -hmm. He was talking literally like the need for space, like maybe don't sleep in the same bed, you know. Yeah. But like, you know, there's a need for space in lots of other ways. And people get so enmeshed into the the um, the concerns of life and the practicalities and the immediate and then just are all on top of one another all the time that you yeah. don't have that tension that builds. Yeah. So that's very interesting. She made that exact point, too. That there's a kind of a counterproductive element of closeness, you know, and she felt that's probably even true for like, I want to know every single thing about you. Maybe you can't know every single thing about another person even, you know, uh, so even in some ways, of course, emotional closeness is an aphrodisiac too. But, you know, there's a way in which, you know, even, you know, the idea that you're going to be constantly in other, someone else's sort of emotional space or something, you might need space, you know, to keep tension between people. So I think that's that's an interesting and maybe slightly controversial point in her. I don't know what do you obviously you're saying that you had that advice from other people too, and you think about that issue. I thought that one was a little bit interesting. I mean, maybe counterintuitive. You know, you feel like the, the solution to it is to get closer, but she was saying, you know, sometimes when you get closer, you kind of lose the tension and the mystery of the other person. Mm. You need to keep some mystery and polarity there. And so what do you think about that? I don't know. Yeah, let's 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 kick it around, and and, and if we can, let's you know because we probably got about seven or eight more minutes remaining. Um, okay, so we'll, I'll finish the rest of these things real quick too. But yeah, if you want, maybe I'll do all of it real quick, and then you'll give like the summary of all of it. I'll just summarize this through. Well, I was looking for a little bit more like solution, you know, because we're presenting these ideas. Well, these and... are all solutions. She's saying you have to go through, and you right, have to forth, like, create more dynamism. <laughs> you have to create more space to create more polarity. She said something really interesting about, you know, she's writing a lot of times for like more of a female audience. So she talked about the idea of the loss of story. So she made the point that like, especially for uh, women, a lot of the sexuality, romance and context stuff is there. So women appreciate the context of the story of the relationship, probably more so or something. It's the point that she makes, mm. you know, which is, you know, it's, you know like kind of an obvious point but like one that was, was worthwhile saying and so she says a lot of women get bored in relationships much faster than men hmm. which might seem counter like intuitive or something or counter to the stereotype but she's like no basically probably it's the women who get bored faster you know than men do and uh because there's this context element there's another sexology person named Emily Nagowski who talks about this too, talking about women's sexuality. She has this book called Come As You Are. It's a pun. Um, uh, but, you know, the whole book is on, you know, um, sort of women's health and sexuality. It's a, it's a good book. And, you know, she talks about this element too, that the research seems to show that there's a context element, you know, for how women feel about relationships and sexuality. And uh, if you lose that that story element if you lose the dynamism of the relationship going someplace so you have to come up with kind of a story for where the relationship is going mm. to engage both partners right and um true for everybody but probably really true for women which again it goes against myth and they make this point in the christopher ryan thing i was talking about earlier where he's talking about the testosterone part i think there's a 
kind of a myth in the culture that women are more designed for monogamy, but that's not really true. Right. You know, like, no one's especially designed for anything probably. Right. Yeah. And you no, just I, go yeah. through and you're going to be in the relationships that you get into and the way that they are. Um, but the myth that, that women are intrinsically more wired for this. No, that's where I was like, no. And I've talked with other women about this too. I want to have uh, Anna Gramon on who's another person in the Chinese medical world, but is specifically doing things for women in terms of women's health, sexuality, and so on. And she's like, yeah, you know, this is something you have to acknowledge that, uh, it's not obvious that anyone's wired for anything, right? But so the whole idea of creating kind of like more story, make sure that you keep re-engaging the relationship and keep rewriting the story, mm-hmm. you know? All those British novels, and when people get married, they have the story just ends, you know? Because all the drama is before that, right? Pride and Prejudice and all those rom-coms and everything, it just ends when the couple gets together. But, you know, the story has to keep writing itself. Mm-hmm. which means you have to keep coming up for the idea of like what is this thing between us and let's keep telling a tale of like what it is that's one of her points there too right keep reinventing what you think the story is and then people will be more engaged moving forward and it's kind of being creative again to create a story for who you are sure you know yeah what do you think <laughs> i mean i so think really it's- like it's probably three levels of s- solution you need creativity. Well, you were saying you need to work, so you need to work, but it's also working in very particular ways is her advice. Right. To create dynamism. Make sure that the things don't get too yin, even though you need a certain amount of nourishment and stability. There's danger of too much yin, so make sure you still get dynamism in there. If there's too much of this counterproductive closeness, you probably have to stop that. And you have to keep reinventing what you think the relationship is to keep the, keep the thing dynamic and moving, right? There has to be a story, Right. Those rom-coms, those old Jane Austen novels, they have a story of the couple coming together, right? But the story has to continue on. You need something to keep that going. And her point is especially for women. They really need to feel that there's some dynamism of the story going forward. Otherwise, it's uh, they'll lose interest, essentially, right? Now, I think the, the, the question I have, it's in my mind, because I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of somebody in when I post this episode, I'm going to send it to them, which I don't normally do, but I will. And I think that the question that is worth talking about for the next five minutes or so is how do you, how would, how would you imagine that we can approach or someone can approach their partner with these things, you know, with this idea and, and, you know, try and get buy-in without making the other person feel bad you know or try and come at it from a place of like you know moving forward as opposed to rebuilding a bridge you know we talked earlier about how like people will do work on their relationship when it's like at the bottom but this kind of yeah. stuff is not bottom work actually it's no crazy. this is ongoing yeah. this is this is the this is the way that you keep maintenance going right yeah this is the work this, this is the, the daily routine right yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we'll talk about our own life and our own problems and wherever we want to at some point. These are kind of not my problems exactly because I'm not yeah. in exactly this. I mean, I think it's something where if you're individually proactive on this, maybe you don't even have to get buy-in from a partner. If you just that's, start that, doing that was, things, that's what I was going to say. If you just start doing stuff, it'll probably just change because you'll start be putting different energy in. Right. There's another one, and I'll talk about maybe more of the road, but they bring up this thing they call like the heart model, which is 
a way of thinking about, you know, how you try to optimize relationship stuff. I didn't include it in these notes. I thought it was something we get to later on, but you want to be here. So you want to be present for the other person, but not in a way that's counterproductive, maybe not just in the way, like we're making plans, we're doing this. You have to be there for the person in a way where it's not just the routine of the day or something. That's the routinization problem you're talking about, right, Daniel? Mm-hmm. So you have to have moments when you're there for the person where you're just kind of there for them, not there for them while you're solving some other life problem or something like what we're going to do about, you know, the fact that the garage needs to be reshingled or whatever it is, you know, like to be there for them in another way, you have to like express enthusiastic engagement with them. You know, you have to try to attune to their emotional state. Like there's advice you can give about this. And probably if you just start working on it from your own side, right? Yeah. So maybe you don't have to do that. Does that make sense to you? No, that that's that's what that's, that's been kind of my experience. Saying. If you just initiate from your own side, probably it'll have an impact. That's you what know, I was going to say. Them, right? Yeah. There's one person in particular who who you know I'm going to send this to, and this is who I'm I'm, I'm literally viewing him in my mind, thinking of his yeah. relationship and some of these conversations that him and I him and I have had as of late on this topic and how to how to do this, uh, which is why I wanted to have this part so that we can. Yeah, 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 yeah. On a high note. On a high note. Yes, it's doable. On a high note. Synchronistically on a high note. There you go, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. so I think that, yeah, my own sense of this is, and you know, if the person doesn't respond, they don't respond. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you You know. know, But you did your due diligence. And so I think these are things that you could just decide on your own. Sure. You know, you still have to be there for the person and the practical problems that people need, you know? The idea is what like you kind of go and you realize okay so if we're smothering each other let me figure out ways of creating space where we can get some more of this dynamic tension in our relationship if you want to follow the esther Perel advice sure or you know maybe start thinking okay who 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 are we now and what's the next part of this story between us and right. i could just start starting infusing that into the relationship and that probably will affect people yeah let's start to feel like oh yeah we do have a story together right yeah. What's the roomy thing? Like write your own myth or something, but now you're writing a myth that you share with another person. Yeah, no, I think that's right. Yeah. I mean, that's how you know, I, was, yeah, okay. Yeah. Sorry. In my, in my notes, I have it, uh, co-creating a continuous story or co-creating yeah. a continuous myth, you know, but it's, conti- right. it's continuous. It's not reflective. It's actually, it's, it's proactive, not reactive. Yeah. So you can see, you can project, project into the future and see where things are going. Yes. You know yeah. what the funny other thing that came up with this relationship stuff for me too. And I don't think Esther Perel uses this language. To be honest, I think a lot of people more in the poly world use this language, but they say like everyone has their own love language. No, love, love language. Yeah. No. And so I'm sure all kinds of people use it. I think I just heard it there being dropped yeah, more. Yeah. 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 So yeah. maybe that's something to figure out too for that person, because that will be part of what will make the story meaningful for them. Yeah. It's also kind of maybe how you give the kind of closest that the person needs. So their needs feel like they're met and taken care of. Right. So then you can move on to other things even. Right. Like if you have someone who has a real practical love language, they might be most affected by the fact that you like, you know, clean up the house or something, you know, and that might be the thing that really means a lot to them, you know, and then they'll be happy with you. And then it's space, you know, for them to go forward because they're not feeling like the thing that they needed to be met wasn't met or something. Correct. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or maybe someone else needs to have like, uh, you know, a little gift or something. Sure. Or maybe you just drop them a text every morning saying you love them in some interesting way. Or, you know, if you start incorporating these tiny things in your life, 
you know, maybe people will respond, maybe they won't, but you can do that from your own side. You don't even have to wait for the other person. And then you see, you know, how they respond. Right. You know what, Eric, I think uh, next week or whenever we start this, whatever we end up doing the next episode, um, I, I'll go over the, I had like an, like a 90 minute lecture about how to do, how to practice Kama Sutra from Andre when I met with him in February that goes oh, over yeah, 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 all yeah, the exactly stuff. So we maybe could start with this because um, mm -hmm. it's fun, but um Anywho, any last parting shots? Because we have to. Uh... Yeah, we got to call it, right? You got to get out of here. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So I think we did this. We did this justice for the things that we needed to talk about, right? Yeah. I didn't do the whole hearts thing and you got the Kama Sutra stuff to talk about. So we'll see where that fits in and we'll just drop it in where it fits, right? Drop it like it's hot. <laughs> it is hot. <laughs> Kama Sutra. Mm. That's all it. right. So, okay, cool. Yeah, we'll, awesome. we'll figure all this stuff out. Thanks, yeah, Daniel. That sounds good to me. Well, uh, as always, always, Eric, thank you so much for, you know, Daniel. coming, hanging on, chatting, doing the thing. Uh, three years strong, three years long, as I like to say, <laughs> we don't measure, we don't measure in, in, uh, distance. We measure in time. <laughs> um, anyways, and I want to say thank you to our audience for, for listening and for sharing hint, hint, hint. If you, uh, like the work that we're doing, you know, please feel free to, uh, like, comment, subscribe, leave a review on Apple reviews or on the YouTube, uh, share it to people who you think might like it, share it with people who you think might hate it because, that ultimately is even more fun for us, turning <laughs> naysayers into uh, activists, right? Yes, yes, yes. Feel yes, free to leave us a conversion. Mm -hmm. Feel free yeah. to leave us an email at ginandtantra@gmail.com, or uh, like I said, a, a comment on the YouTube or uh, on Instagram at Gin and Tantra. And for Eric, this is Daniel. We'll catch you guys on the next one. Peace. Put your hands together one time. I want you to get together. I want you to get together.